You're just a person. <laughs> Walking down the street. <laughs> you meet a person that you're attracted to. The conflict begins in that moment. Pre-meeting the person, you are a person. <laughs> you're a human having your full human experience. And the anxiety starts, like the insecurities that you each carry are meeting each other. Like you have the initial attraction and then the insecurities meet. And it's in the meeting of the insecurities that the lady voice is active. Welcome to the Lady Voice Podcast. Dismantle the patriarchy in your mind with Danielle and Jenny. As a person feeling this partner's insecurity, one of two things happens. Like you either start having your own anxiety around it because it means they could leave you or you're trying to avoid it. But regardless of what you do, you're in lady voice land. You are now like in this zone where you're outside of yourself, managing yourself. Sometimes the insecurities we perceive in other people aren't even perceptible, really. Like at least in my experience, I don't even recognize other people's insecurities up front. Like I feel my own and lady voice starts immediately. And it could just be that internally, I also can feel something in them that I have no idea how to put words to, or how to acknowledge, you know, Mm -hmm. um, surely we're like all dynamic humans, but yeah, I don't know. I think it can also be really unconscious, but that is, I totally agree. That's like where the lady voice starts is like first encounter. First encounter. What can I do for this person? So we're always in communication with people around us. So little of our communication is actually verbal. And we're not conditioned to be paying attention to the nonverbal. You have to really become like intentional around nonverbal communication. But just because you're not conscious of it, doesn't mean it isn't happening. And so nervous systems are constantly communicating. And an obvious one is a mother's nervous system with her offspring. There's such a nervous system connection between a mother and her baby. And uh, it is that way because a baby is nonverbal. And so like the attunement of a mother to an infant, if she is wanting that attunement. I mean, it is something that can be slightly tuned out too. (laughs) You know, it's not like, oh, mothers, like (laughs) objectifying mothers, but it is this biological response. And and it's like why you know someone's lying (laughs) sometimes, like that knowing like you're lying to me right now. I don't know why I know that, you know, but your nervous system is picking Mm -hmm. up on the inconsistencies between what they're saying to you and what their body is feeling like. It's like that initial honest moment. Like we are two people meeting, there is attraction, I'm interested. And then someone's insecurity is like, like in the brakes, (laughs) like sliding in. And so then the response to that insecurity is your conditioning, your social conditioning. 
And as like a hetero female, my social conditioning, even though I've like resisted it my entire life, do I need to be more (laughs) right now? Am I supposed to be hotter, younger, more (laughs) fuckable? Like, am I supposed to be more pliant? How can I be more than I am? That's the conversation of the lady voice. Like, oh no, there's anxiety. I have to fix this. Like, how? How? Yeah. What what do I need to do? Botox? (laughs) Do I need to get breast implants right now? (laughs) Yeah. But on like, uh, you know, I'm not a Botox person yet. (laughs) Maybe ever, ever. I'm never going to be a Botox person. (laughs) I'm just anti-Botox on the principle. (laughs) I know. Oh my God. But my need for Botox comes out only when I'm like severely sad. And that only happens when I'm super lady voicing hard. So eliminate the lady voice, eliminate your need for Botox. It's not about someone choosing Botox. To me, it's just the idea that an industry is making billions of dollars off of making people. It used to be primarily women, but now people feel very bad about a natural part of being a human. And I just think, fuck that. (laughs) That's why I'm anti it. Like I'm not giving my money to this industry. I know. This is suppression. This isn't about liberation. You know, it's about, it's about capitalizing on someone's insecurity. And I think that's fucked as like an industry. It's not, it's really hard when you get into like a personal human (laughs) landscape. I think a just talking about like beauty industry standards and a way to manage the lady voice around that. I had a year of like, wow, I really need to stop, you know, like feeding this like self-abuse story about like aging and um, not being fuckable basically uh, just because I'm getting older. And um And so I was like, it's the mirror. (laughs) The mirror is not being used properly. Those days that I was feeling insecure, I would be in the mirror like, like picking my face, over plugging my eyebrows. Like, I don't know what, right? Like just taking it out on myself in the mirror. I was like, you have to stop. So I was like, the mirror is now a tool. You can like brush your teeth in it. You can like from far away pluck an eyebrow hair. Do not get from close. far away. <laughs> Maybe a little like good luck on your skin. Just, you know, like it's a tool. Use it as a tool. And so for like a year, I didn't really look in the mirror, and it wasn't hard for me with my lifestyle because I work from home and I'm pretty isolated. And uh, but on the off. <laughs> days that I would like be out in public interacting with someone my very first response when I would see them was like what do I even look like right now like am I a monster (laughs) (laughs) then I'm like they're fine they're not looking at you in horror (laughs) how how did you like get it out of your system not out of your system but like how did you get to a point where you didn't feel like a monster anymore (laughs) that is a great question Danielle (laughs) I don't know (laughs) well actually it just changed from it being like a mirror conversation to just a conversation and so the mirror just became a tool but the conversation continued in my head and um, but I was having a relationship with it you have to put in as much work to be unfuckable 
as you do to be the most fuckable object. But most of us are just like here in the middle. I don't know. I've kind of always, always, always been like anti beauty industry. But when it really, like what re- when it really entered the picture for me was after I gave birth and my pelvic floor was like so weak and it still is. And so like every time, every time I have sex, I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> like I, I have like weakness there. Like, ooh, my vagina isn't good enough for this. <laughs> like that's my storyline. You know, it's not like, oh, I look like a monster. It's like, oh, my vagina can't hold on to a penis. <laughs> I know women who've never given birth who have that exact same conversation. The vagina conversation, it's so linked to Lady Voice Land. Your body being something for someone to use rather than being able to connect to your own pleasure experience during sex. Right. You have to be outside of yourself. Like, am I being judged right now or... My vagina's performance. Is my vagina up to par for this? It's It's so entrenched. It's so, it's like, yeah, it's like really in there. And then I think I should be doing exercises. And then I'm like, fuck that. Like, I want to get to a place where I'm like strengthening myself for my own sensation rather than like for an experience with a partner. Like, I want to have my own sensations. For myself. So I think that's actually kind of why I haven't really like dived into that place of like strengthening my pelvic floor yet. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes I'll dabble in it, but it's almost a place I avoid. And I think that's why is because still my conversation there is around the other Mm -hmm. rather than around like myself. Yeah. Once it's about myself, then I'm like, woo, let's go. Like in Kundalini, I love getting up in the morning and I love doing like whatever exercise it is there's no vanity in it. It's just like, Ooh, so much energy, you know, like I feel right. so alive. Like you're not judging yourself. Yeah. You're just where you're at and like building yeah. towards something. It was interesting to me to like meet my vagina. Bring <laughs> 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 into yes. the vagina monologues. This is like a weird thing to me though. Like, what the fuck? I've obviously lived with my vagina my entire life. <laughs> you I have? Like, Most people haven't. No. It's been there. <laughs> I had no idea anything about it. None of us do. None of us do. Any of our vaginas. And then when you're like, maybe I want to get to know it, it gets weird. You get on the internet and you're like, I don't want to get to know it like this. (laughs) So most of it just feels like for the male gaze, the jade egg phase, right? Like, does every woman have a jade egg phase? I don't think every, I don't think everybody does, but. You probably want to. fringy. Yeah. Well, it's quite paltry. she ruined it i'm gonna say goop ruined that Uh, but there's also like silicone and steel medical grade eggs the egg phenomenon i felt like my vagina was like an empty vacuous (laughs) sounds horrible but in my inner eye it's like this empty cave at the top (laughs) i'm like no control over (laughs) like that part of my vagina just felt like a place there's nothing it's just empty yeah space. it is that, yeah I, I hear that and then one day I was like it isn't actually I just had like you can't move a muscle you don't know exists if you were just laying flat and had been like 
for whatever reason, held down your entire life, you didn't know you could like move your biceps, you would never move your biceps. There is no conscious association with that muscle moving. And if you have no reflex to move it, it's just not going to move. Right. And the vagina is that for most women, I think like you don't know that there's things that can be moving in there. Like there's just like a lack of awareness. And the only time a woman feels her vagina is when it's being had sex with or childbirth. Being Those... had sex with. <laughs> <laughs> In that moment, no one's like, let's explore the vagina. <laughs> like, what's happening up in here? Like you're, it's a function. You're doing something for a function. And so, I don't know. Once I was like, oh, actually, this isn't just a vacuous space. It's actually really narrow. Like suddenly I was like, I had muscle awareness there. And then I was like, oh, like this actually is all connected to my whole body. <laughs> it just felt like this part connected, not connected connection up here. There was like a middle missing section. Right. I think at some point we should have a conversation about like hysterectomies and managing the body like in the medical world birth control, things like that. Yeah, we definitely should. And objectification of mothers and the abuse of women giving birth. Yeah. Sure. All those things. Definitely have one of those conversations. In like 20 episodes. What were we even talking about before? Well, I was going to say, I really love this, the conversation around like two nervous systems coming together and, and engaging. And I do wish that there were more of a conversation, explicit conversation between two people when coming together about that response. Is that part of like the idea of maybe dismantling the lady voice in an interaction is just naming the things yeah, as you feel them in your body, like versus naming the things that you should be, should be naming based on like, oh, I should be being this way for this person. Here's the expectation. I feel unsure about this in this moment for whatever reason, or, you know, this thing feels actually really good and this part doesn't. What is this? That takes vulnerability, which is self-practice initially. So if you can't name it for yourself and have that clarity for yourself, you can't just like, I'm having feelings, you know. <laughs> True. It comes down to the practices that create a relationship with yourself. So you understand your nervous system. You have to understand your boundaries so that you can then meet someone else's boundaries. So ideally in a relationship that is like more co-creative, you're meeting that person's boundary line. You know where your boundary line is. And then there's that like insecure place, but there can be a conversation there. It's always hard to have a conversation around insecurities because you're insecure. but having practiced vulnerability, having that conversation is your practice. So you're going to keep practicing. And if two people have practiced or have an understanding of themselves, the threat is minimized. If two people have not practiced on their own, then the threat is very intense to have a conversation about that like in between space. And in fact, there might not even feel like there is in between space because the boundary lines are so blurred. There's, it becomes very confusing at that point. 
you get more external, the more internalized anxiety you're having, the more internalized insecurity you're having, the more external you go to solve the problem. You're like moving in the wrong direction, right? Because it's an in out experience. The more in you go, the more clarity you have. The more out you are headed, the less clarity you have about your boundaries. And so as you go out, you are then objectifying yourself and you're objectifying the person in front of you. You're trying to categorize everything to create safety. And so I hear it a lot. But they're really nice. They're really (laughs) nice. But, but, and it's the but, you know. I've been feeling that this last week. I've been kind of, I've been dating someone new and it's really fun and it's really exciting really awesome coming together. And then we're apart for a few days. I like came back to my meditation practice in the process of doing this, like Kundalini Kriya meditation. I realized like, Oh wow. Like my, my energy has started to like move out. Mm -hmm. It, It had moved out. And then like this practice was pulling it back in. So I could feel the dissonance. I could feel like where it had gone And I mean, it was only like, I told you this, but it was only like two days that I hadn't done that practice. Yeah. I didn't realize it. But when I was doing the meditation, feeling all this energy coming back into center in myself, I felt that it had gone outward. And I was like, oh no, there (laughs) it is. Like, there's the thing. Like I, I couldn't even necessarily articulate the problem of it, but it's that nervous system level thing of like, okay, what are the ways that I'm feeling this person already? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, like he has certain wants. I have certain wants. I'm saying what I want. He's saying what he wants. There are some differences. There are some similarities, but the differences make me uncomfortable. What am I supposed to do with that? How am I supposed to modify myself and change myself so I can meet his needs, you know, right. subconscious backdrop conversation, you know? And then I pull all this energy back into myself and my meditation. And I'm like, don't feel that anxiety anymore. I just feel like myself. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh shit, like this is where I need to stay. Like this is where I need to stay because if I can stay in this center place, I've never done this successfully in a relationship before, by the way. I'm just like practicing, practicing. live right now. I'm practicing <laughs> live. I'm like pulling it back in. This is the only place that I feel could be healthy for me to relate from is if I can stay tethered to my center and have conversations because it is another person, but not give up myself, like not give up any of my center place. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the weird conversation too. The lady voice is like, but relationships are about compromise. (laughs) I'm like, fuck that. I don't, I don't want to hear that anymore. Like I get that there's like two people, mm, in a conversation, but like, I really hate that like excuse for like losing yourself. I can't stand that language anymore. So can we please like redefine it? Like (laughs) what what could it really be that would actually be a healthy dynamic? I 100% agree with you, Daniel. (laughs) When I got married, I didn't want to do all the things. I actually just wanted to elope because I I've never been into the idea of marriage, but yet I did it. We didn't elope. So then people are like, we really want to have a bridal shower for you. So, you know, I'm getting like knives and underwear. That's weird. 
Because <laughs> <laughs> like the only one who thinks that's weird. I was like, the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. It's fucking weird. I'm like, so I guess these things could go together. <laughs> depending. <laughs> <laughs> but then came the advice part. And I knew all of these women, you know, well. <laughs> I knew everything about their relationships. I just remember sitting there like, what is happening? And most of it was like, never go to bed angry at each other. Oh, (laughs) Commitment is hard. You got to commit 100%. This is your life partner. And it just feels like you're getting initiated into a really sick club. I'm like, well, this won't be my experience because this is not even what I believe, you know, but then it was my experience. And I was like, I'm in the club. It's all about denying your own needs. That's what I felt like I was being told. Like, basically you're going to not have any of your needs met and you need to be okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Compromise. Going back though, to the initial meeting, it's so subtle. This like switch that happens. It's just, it's immediate and it is so habitual that you do need like a couple of days to come down from like the initial oxytocin rush. Like if I have a partnership someday, I want it to be from a place where I can find myself with ease. And like, I'm a pretty self-reflective person and I am just dipping my toes into that place. I want so much space so that I can make sure I'm always finding myself. Mm-hmm. I think you'd have to find a person who has that level of awareness that space is also a requirement for them and not in an avoidant way, right? Because right. there's space also can that. be avoidant and punishing. If you don't have a partner who can recognize that, it's it's not probably going to be easy to advocate for your own space because they'll see it as rejection. I think there's a spectrum for everything and I think if you meet the person who's codependent just like you there's probably some level of comfort in that I think that level of codependency still is an avoidant of self but not everyone wants to know themselves (laughs) so that's okay like maybe it's just like I don't understand that position at all like I cannot under I cannot understand it because I do feel like there's this deep human I may want to know oneself if one is being honest. And there's a fear for sure, like to Mm -hmm. shut that down. But like every human being who I have a conversation with, there is that thing. But does it tie into the vagina conversation about if you have a muscle you don't know exists, like how can you flex it, right? Right. And I kind of, I think it's the same. If you don't know a place in you exists and you've never even, like you just breeze past that part of yourself all the time there's just like no awareness that you could go in deeper it just doesn't feel like anything's there and so you don't know there's no roadmap or the roadmaps are weird you know like self-help land is super (laughs) weird it gets really weird and therapy can only help you navigate spaces that you're aware of it's not like therapy can like open trap doors like if you don't know about something (laughs) you're not gonna find it but maybe that's it it's like just realizing that like in every human there's like this buried treasure you know that's how I feel most people aren't like excavating themselves for it 
but it's there. But you can. It is out there for you. <laughs> Guess what? There's so many doors that you can't even see. They're like camouflaged with the wall. There is like an innate knowing somewhere that something's missing. Whenever we feel that, it's just ourselves. The lady voice, though, if we're talking like taking it back to this nervous system interaction, the lady voice is internalized betrayal. I think that's a good way to think about it. It's your objectification betrays you all the time. Your true hopes and dreams are on the other side of objectification. This person coming in who's going to objectify you or you are going to objectify yourself for, there are hints of your dream in that. That's why we get like pulled in. But it's just hints, right? It's like, maybe if I became a sculptor, I could totally shapeshift this whole thing and turn it into (laughs) something I actually want. Like so many pieces of the puzzle are here. (laughs) So, oh my God. But you betray the person you're with, with this voice and you're betraying yourself. What you know is true versus what you feel is expected of you. And so that becomes like the, this place of discomfort. And it's easier to keep moving outside of yourself once that discomfort is there because discomfort means something's wrong. <laughs> we need to solve a problem. But we just solved a problem by finding a person <laughs> who wants to fuck us. <laughs> so now what do we do? <laughs> like I must move outside of myself. <laughs> to maintain this thing. To maintain this thing. <laughs> to keep oh, that person wanting to reminds me you. of this thread. Okay. So I just read this today. A guy on TikTok asked this question ladies what does sex feel like for you (laughs) here are some of the responses oh my god sarah says it's like the zebra stripe gum you think it's got the most amazing taste and bam three seconds later it tastes like (laughs) (laughs) play-doh darling says it's like your favorite part in the song comes on and maps suddenly interrupts with a make a U-turn in 600 feet. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. That's good. It kind of is like when your kids help you clean and you tell them they did a good job, but you just ended up doing it yourself. (laughs) That is like, that one's so real. That's good. That's really good. Like when you're about to blow out the candles on the cake, but someone else does it. (laughs) Oh, wow. Biting into a chocolate chip cookie and realizing it's oatmeal raisin. <laughs> this one. When you're someone is scratching your back and misses the part that is actually itchy. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so good. It's an acting career. <laughs> Those are so real. So real. Yeah. That's so like, real. I feel like I've been living a pretty alternative lifestyle the last year and a half mm-hmm. since I got divorced. And like, you know, in this like polyamory, non-monogamy scene and a little dabbling in BDSM scene and just kind of curious about all of it, you know? And so there's people who are a lot more aware of like (laughs) offering a different kind of sex. People who are really trying to show up and not be the person who's like not itching the scratch in the spot. It is like... Still missing the scratch. It's still, yeah, it's still missing. (laughs) It's still missing the heart, I think. Or like, not, it's not the same storyline as like, oh, kids in a house, you know? It's like, this is also showing up in like really alternative scenes where people are supposedly aware of it. It's just the average person is still outside of their own experience. Yeah. 
So you can have all the outer experiences you want at a certain point. It's stale. I don't care what it is. So there has to be like the inner experience with someone that could be there in monogamy. It could be there in BDSM, but it's not guaranteed to be there in anything. If it's, if a person isn't doing that themselves. So it's like an inner job. You have to create an inner relationship. It's also the thing that no one wants to do. <laughs> like It's true. It's so hard and it's terrifying. Yeah. And it looks like a bunch of camouflage doors. Like you don't even know no how one. to enter. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. How do you enter? You have to first stop lying to yourself about your own needs. That's like the very first thing. You have to identify your needs. When I coach people, the first thing is like, like you're here, but you want to get here. Like you cannot dissect where you're at without understanding how you're not having your needs met. You don't have to maybe even leave the situation you're in to start getting your needs met, but you cannot get your needs met if you don't know what they are. And you have to advocate for your needs. Every human has to advocate for their needs. That's the part people are like, oh, I just wanted Prince Charming to come and meet all of them. And like, what are we doing? Here I am having to work hard again. <laughs> the meeting of the one means the pressure is off, right? Like, oh, like I met the one. Now I don't even have to try anymore. Everything's just going to work out. <laughs> I get to sit down. But a lot of conflict in a relationship is the sitting down of each person. Because you're sitting down in different fantasy worlds and the actual reality of your relationship is like neglected. You know, that's where like the fights are happening. And then each person just goes back to their alternate universe of like, well, my partner will be this person. So this person must be doing that. And I don't know, they're not, but I'll convince them to do it. And it really wears me out to just think about like that type of a dialogue, that type of internal dialogue, where if you are a person who's like, what are my needs? <laughs> you have no idea what your needs are. So how do you learn what your needs are? You stop, you have to be willing to stop gaslighting yourself. You have to be willing to live in your body. Your body is never lying to you. You're where you get turned on in any sense of that, like turned on around food, turned on around life, turned on around sex. Your needs are in that. The things that draw you out of yourself, it could be art. It could be sunsets. Like it doesn't matter. There's like a part of you and all of that. And that's what you have to realize. Like humans are so incredible, truly. Like what we have done, what we're capable of, like the beauty that we can create what other animal is creating like us? There aren't any, but we're so desensitized to our own ability. <laughs> we're so desensitized to the potential of our own experience. Everyone's just watching television. You can't get, you can't find yourself in TV, <laughs> but why do we check out? We're like burned out. We don't know how to solve problems anymore for ourselves. There was a, a belief when you were 20 that you're just going to follow this path. It's all going to work out. Suddenly you're the age you are and you're not happy with any part of it. And so you just kind of start giving up and that's the place to start. It's like, if you're there and you're kind of like, 
you don't know where to go. It's what are your needs? You have needs. What are they? And I think a lot of women I know are afraid to name their needs. To name your needs is selfish. It's a betrayal actually to your partner to name your needs because the stupid idea that your partner innately knows your needs kind of like goes back to that sex thread. (laughs) Like... If I ever hear another man say to me again, like I gave a woman an orgasm, I'm just oh. like, uh, get out of here. Like, I know that <laughs> kind of thinking. No, I let you help me. <laughs> you got to witness my orgasm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will thank you for giving me space to orgasm. So when you first start trying to address these issues with your partner, if you're in a partnership, you will be met with resistance and that's really normal. And it doesn't mean your partner has to be bad or you have to get a divorce or anything. You just keep advocating for your needs. Life is so short. And the only thing you're going to regret is if you recognize the thing and then didn't act on it for yourself. I've worked with people who were like placed in hospice for a number of years. I was like, during my internship, uh, most of our clients that came in, our patients were like in hospice for end of life cancer care. And the only thing people regretted was, I think I was talking about this in my last podcast, but it's relationships. People aren't regretting like, that should have worked more. I mean, this is such a cliche, but no one's talking about their job. You know, one lady was like actually dying. This was the saddest story. She was passing away. She was diagnosed late stage liver pancreatic cancer, which is really wild because those are two very painful cancers. And she had no pain up until a week prior to her diagnosis. And when she was diagnosed, she was stage five, basically like you're dead. That is crazy. And yeah. And so her husband as a last ditch effort flew her from the Midwest to where we were in Arizona to see if there was anything we could do to extend, like give her extra time. and. I was like alone with her for the weekend. The naturopath I worked with was gone. He was like obsessed with trying to find a TV in our building, which he ended up finding. And it ended up being in the room like adjacent to us. So we could hear his television. We could hear him yelling at like the football game or whatever, like cheering on his team. And her face, just like no energy. She was just like, just done. And she was like, I don't want to live. I was like, yep. what do you want? And she's like, it's my birthday next week. I want to see my grandkids before I die. And I was like, okay, that's our goal. And she did it. She died the day after her birthday. Her morphine levels were so low. She was like managing her pain um, in a more alternative way. And that's all we did. That's all I did with her. She flew out Monday. She saw the naturopath that I worked with for like an hour. Who was like, all right, we're going to rally. We're going to do this stuff. And we're going to see you back in like three weeks. We're going to do this. And as she was like being wheeled out of our office, I was just like standing there, you know, like we have the secret. I just spent like two of the most intimate days of her life with her. I know I'm never going to see her again. She did it. Like we Uh heard from her husband and he was like, she was so happy. She even said it. Like I knew all my grandkids faces. And I was like, his yelling in the background during her most critical time, like he's not there with her. He's watching a football game. Like he can't miss the game. 
that was it. That was like the look of pain in her face. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is what I've been doing. Yeah. It just makes me wonder, like, is that her only honest moment with another human about that? Or not her only, but you know what I mean? Like, there are so few of those because we are trying to maintain this like storyline that everything's okay until it's not. Then you just tell the truth. What would it be like to just live your life telling the truth more often? What mattered to her in that moment is that someone connected to her and heard her and was there with her in that experience. And it couldn't be her husband. He was distraught. It wasn't even that he didn't care about her. He did not know how to suddenly switch gears and stop being the person he'd been their entire marriage. He had a moment of knowing that he was failing her. All he had to do was just turn off the fucking TV and hold her hand. That was literally all he had to do. And he could not do it. He couldn't stop the objectification of himself or her. The lady voice is internal betrayal, always. It's about needing the idea of security and relationships over what you know you need to be a secure human. If this is like a new idea for you, it is really hard to start navigating this space in yourself. Your needs are non-negotiable. You get to have your needs. Anytime I've stated needs in relationships that have been unsafe, it's been like, they've been like criticized or like um, considered excessive. I was just sending my dad this like link today to um, the condition, the medical diagnosis of female hysteria. And like um, sharing with him about like hysterectomies and stuff and where that even came from and associated to like excessive female emotion. Like that is the definition of hysteria, excessive female Mm -hmm. emotion. That kind of languaging is really in me. And so so to consider that I could have needs is like, oh, but that makes me hysterical. (laughs) And that's been reinforced in some relationships. People who are not comfortable with me being a whole person because I wasn't comfortable with me being a whole person either. You know, like no one's comfortable with Mm -hmm. a lot of female bodied people being whole people. (laughs) I didn't think I could have any needs and I still have a hard time with it. I still have a hard time with it. And the only thing that's like keeping me in myself (laughs) meditation, I'm like, no, but I like how this feels better. So I'm going to stay over (laughs) here. So we're saying like, oh, what are your needs? Know your needs. But it's more like, what aren't your needs? I think that's what we, we figure out more what we're not than what we are. And then the more we understand what we're not, we just are. That feeling of constantly being monitored and constantly having this like pressure from this person, like the feeling of their expectations on you, that can be really confusing. And in that space, you can't, identify any of your needs because there's a lot of anxiety for you. You're having to like perform, meet someone else's needs or expectations of you. Self-care rituals such as like alone time, anything alone is so important. You are yourself there and it's how to become conscious of yourself there.